God be with you. How are we doing? We're good? We're still here? Awesome. I don't know what we're doing next. I, I have this idea, but then like halfway through finishing it this morning, I was like, oh, this is an idea, though. And this felt like what God, universe, was telling me to do. And I think it really is an amalgamation of the two, but you don't need to know any of that. All you need to know is that uh, for this to work, I need you to be here. Uh, Because this isn't something that I can simply tell you. This is some stuff that I I need you to be, if not responding to, thinking about. Because we're going to go into some stuff that uh, every single one of us has probably rumbled with. um, And that I need you to think about as well. And we'll see if we can meet somewhere in the middle and we'll see where it goes. Um, Are you with me? Does that sound okay? Okay, cool. So let's start with a parable, Um, and it's by my friend Peter. Um, It's one of my favorite parables ever. It's a great little story, and it goes like this. Once there was a little field mouse, and this field mouse was out of work and down on his luck. After almost a year on welfare, the mouse decided to look for a job in a different field. And he discovered that there was a factory located in an enchanted forest, just a few forests over from where he was living. So he went out there for an interview, and he got the job. And so pretty soon he tired of the commute. And so he moved into that enchanted forest. And pretty soon everything was going pretty smoothly in his life. He found a new home, he started making some friends, and he even started dating a nice little guinea guinea pig that he had met. They met at the grocery store. And things were going pretty great with the guinea pig. But this little mouse, however, this little mouse was a little insecure. And he became worried that she didn't really love him. And he would ask her all the time, do you love me? Do you love me? And every single time she would answer the same way, yes, of course I love you. I loved you from the first day that I met you. I love you this very day. And I will love you all the days of my life. But this answer never satisfied the guinea pig. And she felt that she she was lying to him. And this insecurity as insecurities do, it kept growing and growing and growing until he became so preoccupied with this thought that she didn't love him, that she was lying to him, that he could not concentrate on his job. So one day while on a smoke break with his friend the frog, he was telling him how deeply he was in love with this guinea pig, but he feared that she did not love him back And he was just so distraught with the whole thing. And so after listening, the frog said, You know, in the middle of our enchanted forest, there is a very magical lake. And if you go drink from this lake, you are able to hear the thoughts of the people around you. Maybe what you should do is go drink from this lake, and then you can tell if she thinks the same way that she speaks. And the mouse was like, That's a great idea. And so this mouse said to his guinea pig, let's go on a picnic in the middle of the forest. And they went and found the lake, and he's like, I'm thirsty. He goes down and drinks from it. Then he goes back up to the guinea pig and says, do you love me? 
And she responded the same way as she always says, yes, of course I love you. I love you from when we first met. I love you now, and I will always love you. And then a second later, the mouse heard her thoughts. And he heard her thinking, yes, I love you. I loved you when we met. I love you now, and I will always love you. And he was so overjoyed. And they had an amazing picnic. All his fears were put to rest. But then weeks went by. And the frog never saw his friend the mouse until one day the mouse came back to work and he was looking so distraught, so despairing, so worried. And the frog asked the mouse, what's wrong? And the mouse said, oh, the guinea pig was having an affair with the beaver. They've been doing it since before we met. She's left me for him. They're gone. I'll never see her again. And the frog said, but what happened at the lake? And the frog told him, well, I heard her say that she loves me. And I heard her think that she loves me. And the frog said, oh, is it, is it a cursed lake? And the mouse said, no. And the frog asked, is it a broken lake? And the mouse said, no, no, you don't understand. The lake worked perfectly fine, the mouse said. It's not that she didn't love me. It's just she thought she, thought she did. It's not that she didn't love me. She just thought she did. That's the problem with lies, isn't it? Sometimes we end up believing them. The problem with lies is that we end up thinking they're true. And we can think they're true so much that we're absolutely convinced that they're true. And it's the way that we should be. We let those things be the things that shape our entire lives and our worlds, how we understand God, ourselves, and the world around us. And that is why I've come to love this little bit of wisdom here. Maybe the journey isn't about becoming anything. Maybe it's about unbecoming everything that really isn't you. So you can be who you're, you were meant to be in the first place. Right? Isn't that good? Maybe it's about unbecoming everything that really isn't you so you can be who you're meant to be in the first place. The spiritual task, the reason why we all gather here all the time, it's about unlearning all the lies that we've been told. These lies about who God is, about who we are, about what we're worth, about how the world works. And it's about rediscovering the truth. But not just any truth. The truth underneath the truth. That truth that has always been true. That truth that will always be true. That divine and sacred truth that we believe that God speaks and is and gives every single one of us. And this is why I love the nuance of Paul's take here. Because it tells us that the life we're meant to have, a life of, of truth, a life of living in the truth, 
It's not found by adding more stuff into our life. It's actually found in doing the opposite. The life we're meant to have, it's already within us. It's already here. All we need to do is learn to find it and listen to it. It's just about taking things away, not adding things in. And so this morning, and here's where we're going to go out into the deep end. I want to share with you uh, some work about uh, some work from the Catholic theologian Henry Nouwen. Um, he's a brilliant thinker, um, amazing guy. You should check him out. And towards the end of his work, he sat down and reflected how every single person he's ever met, all the congregations he's ever worked with, all the people in his life, there are five lies that they have all in some way, shape, or form believed to be true. There are these five lies that they think are so true they've let them shape and mold how they live, move, and have their being in the world. And he believed there are five lives that are super toxic, dangerous, and actually pull us out of life instead of leading us into life. And so this morning, I don't know how it'll work yet, but I want to offer a few of these lies to you. Because knowing that we are everybody, knowing that if everybody that he met believed these lies, there's a good chance we all believe these lies too. There might be something universal in what he's saying. And I want to do the work of unlearning this morning, of exposing some of the things that we've been told as lies, and then doing the hard work of discovering maybe what the truth is, and letting that shape and mold us instead of the lies. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay, thank you. You might not. That's, that's fair. So we're going to move through them quicker than I want. Uh, but the work really is for you to recognize how these lies may be at work in your own life, to rumble with that, and then let the truth go to work. So if you leave here feeling unsatisfied, good. Because uh, this is work that takes a long time, maybe a lifetime to do. But it's important work to begin and it's important work that we all do. So at various times, I may check in with you to see what you think. Um, we'll see. Anyways, the first lie that Henry Nouwen thinks that we have all believed is, I am what I have. Anyone, anyone ever hear that one before? Yeah, it's rarely as explicit as that. But we're told this lie in all kinds of ways. We hear it in our capitalist culture that says, buy, 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 get more, more, more. We hear it, and this is definitely true for me, through the expectation to have degrees and educations and things on our wall that prove how great we are. We hear it through the expectation to go have a house, have a car, have kids, get married, have savings. And then, of course, we hear it through the other things that we have. We are our mental illnesses. We are our addictions. We are our struggles. We are our abilities. We hear this everywhere. And the message that we're receiving through it 
is that we are what we have. Now, the problem really isn't that we have stuff. You can have stuff. That's fine. The problem is with this is that it's, it's saying that who we are is what we have. The sum of all your parts, your value, your worth, and your identity is equated with what you have. And so I'm curious for you, and this isn't something I need you to tell me, just something for you to think about. What's it like believing in that? What's it like to have this narrative at work within you? That you are only what you have. What kind of life does that create? How has that narrative affected your existence? Has it been a fun life? Does it feel full of joy? Does it feel it's meant to be? Or does something feel kind of off? What kind of life does it create? If you're anything like me, it creates a life of shame because I have to hide the things that I have. And it creates a life of of exhaustion because I have to carry all the things that I have and be able to look at how great I am, look at all the stuff that I have. Because in order for you to see me, I have to show you what I have. And so wherever I go, hiding, showing, hiding, and showing, And the scariest thing of of this is that if you take it all away, if I lost all that stuff, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I cease to exist because I don't have anything. And the world tells me I am what I have. No wonder we treat poverty the way that we do. No wonder we treat mental illness and addiction the way that we do. Because we believe that we are what we have. So if that's the lie, what's the truth? What's the narrative we need to replace it with? Because the truth is, from our tradition, we aren't what we have. What we have and what we don't have has nothing to do with who we are. It has nothing to do with our value, our worth, or our sense of belonging. One of the beautiful things about our faith, one of the liberating things about our faith, is that we believe in a God who, before we do anything, before we say anything, before we accumulate anything, looks at us and says, you are amazing, you are beautiful, you belong just as you are. And perhaps even cooler still, God says that through our entire lives. No matter what you have or what you don't have, no matter what you do or don't do, that narrative says the same. That you are not what you have, but you are beautifully and wonderfully made, and you are amazing just as you are. And what you have does not dictate who you are. And so if this lie is at work in your life, if that's something you struggle with, um, here's a mantra for you. Here's something that I've had to learn how to do. Um, And a mantra is something that you just say to yourself. 
kind of positive reinforcements. Uh, sometimes it involves postures. Sometimes it, looks, it means looking in the mirror. But it's just repeating it to yourself to remind you of the truth. And if you believe in this life, this lie has shaped and formed your life in ways that you don't like. Here's what you need to repeat to yourself. I am not what I have. Even naked and empty, I am beautiful and amazing. Try it out with me. Repeat after me. I am not what I have. Oh, come on. That lie is at work within you. I am not what I have. Even naked and empty, I am beautiful and amazing. There you go. How does that truth feel? You can use the, the, the feelings test for some of these things. Because how does it feel to say, I am what I have? Yeah, you don't want to do it. That, that, that tells us something right there. But if you want to say, I am not what I have. Ooh, ooh! listen to your gut there. So put that one in your pocket. Save it for later when this lie creeps up in your world. Uh, the second one. I am what others think of me. Who's heard that one before? Yeah, that's a big one. This happens to me every single week when I think about this. Um, usually Monday around 11 o'clock in the morning, I'll sit down at my desk. I think about Sunday's sermon and what I should say. And then this voice will creep up behind me and says, Oh, Nick, this better be perfect. And it better go like this. It better have a scripture verse. And then you better explain what it means. And it better be good because they're also going to hate you if it's not good enough. They're going to gossip about you if you don't do it the right way. If it doesn't look like a sermon and sound like a sermon and smell like a sermon, ooh, you better watch out because they're going to talk about you. They get together at Tim Hortons. <laughs> and they will talk about it. And they're going to say all these nasty things about you. And then a small part of me will say, yeah, but, but I want to kind of try to do this thing. And it's like, nope. They're going to say bad things. And I say, you're right. And I give in. I listen to it. And I let what people might say and think about me dictate what I do. Anyone have a story like that? Yeah, we all do. We've all done something, not done something, said something, not said something, made a choice or not made a choice because of what others might think and say about us. And that's because we've all been told the same thing. We are what others think we are. We are what others say we are. And while what others say and think could be a beautiful and amazing thing to listen to, what's the problem with that? What's the danger of it? What are we doing by believing in this? What are we giving them? Power. Yeah, we're giving them the power to write our own stories. 
we are sacrificing the one thing that God gave each one of us, this beautiful and amazing thing. And that's autonomy, that's power, freedom, the ability to make our own choices and write our own stories. And by believing in this lie, we sacrifice the one thing that God gave us to be human and figure out who we are. The heart of our faith is this idea that we get to write our own stories. Why would we ever sacrifice that? Why would we ever give that up? And so if this is something that you struggle with, if you're like me and this is constantly in the back of your head, here's a mantra for you. Two mantras for you. I'm going to steal one of Don's because it's a really good one. First one, what other people say about me is none of my business. It's good, isn't it? Try it out. What other people say about me? It's none of my business. What they say or think, who cares? It's none of your business. It's not your burden to carry. Yeah, let's keep going. This one's a doozy. Next slide. I am no more than my worst moment. I am no more than my worst moment. Who here has failed at something, completely dropped the ball, and let that determine the rest of their story? Whose failure has been a gigantic period at the end of their story? We all probably have something in our lives. By failing at it, by dropping the ball, by being a catastrophic failure, that label has been put on us, and it stopped us from doing anything else. I'm sure we've all got that one thing, probably from our childhood, and that shaped and formed everything else. kind of makes us feel like dirt, doesn't it? Our world views failure in such a powerful way that we're so terrified to fail at things. That failure actually becomes an ending. Full stop, gigantic period. But my question is, if our faith believes in resurrection, if we truly and honestly believe that death is not the end, that the worst thing is not the last thing, that with every ending becomes a new beginning. What does that mean for how we understand and hold failure? What does that mean for the stories of our lives where we've just completely pooped the bed? It kind of flips it on its head, doesn't it? Suddenly that failure isn't the end. It's just the beginning. Suddenly it's not the end of our stories. It's just the beginning. Suddenly, failure isn't something that we want to avoid. It's something we want to embrace. Because we know on the other side of that is a second chance, a new beginning, and a new chapter. So what's a mantra? Let's make one up. What's a mantra that we can have to combat this lie? What's a mantra? What can we tell ourselves when this little voice in our head is saying, you're just a failure, you're nothing more than that. 
Yeah. It's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how you get up. Great mantra. Yeah. Let's try that one. It's not how many times I get knocked down. It's that I get back up. Yeah, and what's beautiful about that mantra? What does it highlight? It highlights the getting back up. Yeah. It puts the emphasis on that instead of the failure. And last one. I am no more than my best moments. I think this is his last one for a reason. Have I ever told you about my favorite funeral I've ever been at? It was at Montreal. I was just learning, being shown the ropes kind of thing on my internship, so I wasn't allowed to do anything. I was just sitting out there with you. And it was this huge, massive funeral for this guy who was uh, very popular. I don't know if he's a member of the church or not, but the place was full. It was your typical funeral. And he had four people get up and just give the most beautiful uh, eulogies ever, saying how amazing he was and how gracious he was, and he taught me this, this, and this, and I'm going to miss him. There's a huge hole in my heart, and the world is worse off for this. And he'll be missed so much because he was the most amazing, best person in the world. Then his son got up. And his son gets up to the pulpit and he says, Yeah, I don't have much else to say. That stuff is all true. But dad was kind of an asshole as well. (laughs) And the thing that stuck with me the most, guess what everyone in the congregation did? They all nodded. They're all like, yep, he was. How beautiful and amazing is that? And I love that story so much because it reminds us that as much as failure is something that we can recover from, as much as we can feel like dirt, we are also dirt. We can be crap as well. We can have amazing moments. And we can be capable of beautiful and tremendous, generous, loving things. And that's great and beautiful. But we can also be crap. What would happen to your life if you made room for that? What would happen in your life if you made room for not only the heights of your humanity, but also the depths? Would it feel a bit lighter? Would you feel a bit more free to be allowed to fail and mess up and be grumpy from time to time? Would you feel a bit more liberated? You are more than your best moments. You're also your worst moments. And the mantra you can tell yourselves with that one, we won't go the route the sun took. Even at my worst, I'm still loved. Even at my worst, I'm still loved. Try it out. Even at my worst, I am still loved. 
I wonder what would happen if we went from this place and we stopped believing in some of those lies and we started repeating those mantras and believing in new truths. What would your day look like? Do you think it's cool to... Are you curious? Sorry, that was rhetorical. Uh, Are you curious to find out? Do you think it'd be worth finding out that you are not what you have? That you are more than that? That what you have does not dictate your value and your sense of belonging? But you are amazing and beautiful just as you are. Keep, yeah, obviously keep learning, keep growing. Yeah. What's the second one? Can we go back on and just walk through them all? I forget. Let's go back to the start. Uh, next one, next one. Yeah. I'm not what other people think about me. In fact, what they think about me is none of my business. Why do I spend all this time thinking about it? What else could I be doing with my time? Where else can my energy go? Oh, God, hours would open up. What are you going to do with those hours? Next slide. I am no more than my worst moment. You're right. I'm also amazing, and I can do wonderful things, and I'm not going to let this failure define me. Oh, new beginnings. What do I want to try next? How can I practice resurrection? Where can my story go? I can also be terrible. I can be grumpy. I can be mean. And that's not okay. It's not permission. But it is grace. It is recognizing that I can just be human. What does that do for you? That you're allowed to be human. They are allowed to feel it all and be it all. And there's room for it all. And neither one defines you. So your work this week is to go out and rewrite those lies. To replace them with truths and see where it takes you. If you have any amazing encounters, I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to hear how these truths have transformed you, what thoughts have come with them. And see where it goes. So we're going to end with a song. Um, it's my favorite hymn, and I know a lot of you like it. And it's really a hymn about um, choosing to orient yourself towards the truth, about letting truth dictate who you are and what you're about instead of lies. Because we know that life as it was meant to be is found in truth, however hard and difficult that might be. And so may you go from this place and choose to listen to the truth to unlearn all those things that you've been given and you've been told so you can find life as it was meant to be. May you go from this place and may you go in love and peace and may you go and do it loudly. May grace and peace be with you. Finance Forum is starting how long? Five minutes. If you love talking about money, if you are concerned or interested about the state of our church and its financial health, stick around. If you're not, cool. We'll see you next week. Uh, May you go in peace, go in love, go and do it loudly. Thank you, everybody, for coming.